0: to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Schriever, also known as Cave Dan Online, and I'm joined today by the most beautiful brewer in Buenos Aires. You know him as Mord to Light. Welcome.
1: Hey Dan, how are you doing? Love to be here with you, discussing some beautiful magic arts for today.
0: It's good to be here, back where it all started, 30 years ago today, in a small corner of Seattle Renton actually don't know where the story I have began. No
1: idea where Victor Garfield is from.
0: Oh, Philadelphia! I do know this because he was a graduate student at Carnegie Mellon. I think that's what the story goes. Playtesting with a bunch of kooky friends at the club, and not not the club club, but like the nerdy graduate nerdy student club.
1: club. <laughs> the nerdy club.
0: <laughs> it's the 30 year anniversary. That's what I'm trying to say. MTG Vegas is happening. I know uh, Zach man Assemble symbol Ryle has flown off there. Who knows what he's doing right now? I think Jiggy Wiggy is there as well.
1: Yeah, Texas Tough, Jiggy Wiggy, and Mr. Suck, I think, are sharing a home for the next following days, and I'm super envious of them, and I hope they have the time of their life, or at least a worthwhile time in Las Vegas.
0: I'm going to be really curious to hear from him how it all went. Oh, me too. It sounded like it was going to be such a spectacular event. That was a few months ago. I I don't know if the expectations have changed in the interim. We'll see.
1: He also went with it since Prison Tron for his deck of choice, and I can wish him nothing but the best of luck.
0: Prison Tron, really? Yeah. Okay, so he he's got an entry to a beta draft qualifier.
1: He's going to fight it tooth and nails.
0: If you make top eight of the beta draft qualifier, you get to play the single elimination beta draft finals you have to win two rounds there and then if if you win two rounds you get to draft beta i think he can do it i mean he's been on a tear today
1: yeah he went like something like 13 so like a five zero double four one
0: 13 and 2 with prison tron yeah okay beautiful stuff well we wish you well zach and we look forward to your report
1: exactly Worst case scenario, we're going to have some really fun stories about Las Vegas. Best case scenario, we're going to see sack and steal the beta dual launch from him. All
0: right, so that's like the official Magic 30 celebration. What about us? What can we do more? What can we do to make this podcast a little more festive? Commemorate 30 years of Magic.
1: Well, for the 30 years, Wizards decided to show the one card from every year in a secret lair known as the Countdown Kit. But we decided that those cards weren't representative of us brewers. Rather, what magic at each moment of it was showing. Like for the first year, they have Hevan Dragon, which makes sense. It's likely the emblem card of Magic, much more for Lan- Black Lotus for the newer players. Like, Black Lotus seems meaningless. <laughs> but you look at Shivan Dragon and you're new and you're like, wow!
0: I mean Shiv and Dragon was the artwork that was on the rule book that came in every starter deck. So when you like peeled off the plastic of your revised starter deck, open the cards, you see some basic lands, and you see this gorgeous little rule book. It was thick, it was black and white, and there's that dragon, that iconic artwork, and you just you're just transported immediately, and you feel like this product is for me. When was the last time you felt that about magic? <laughs> right? I, you felt I- it when you opened the the revised turtle deck and ship and dragon was there
1: <laughs> i have always felt that way into magic but i also started playing at the time when that was not the common anymore mm. like the card of choice for my year that i entered the game is like phoenix and that says a lot
0: Oh, interesting yeah you're just a young one so yeah exactly as mort is saying right the official mtg30 secret layer celebrates Thirty years of magic by having a card from every year, and they call them tournament winning cards, which is mostly true. But tournament winning is not the same as like brewing cards, right? Like this is a brewing podcast, so we figured why don't we pick our own cards? The is Brewing Secret, Lair.
1: <laughs> the secret Layer. The Brewer Secret Lair. But before we go straight into that, there's two more things we'd like to discuss.
0: Yeah, exactly. We have actually some early previews from The Brothers' War, and perhaps even more exciting than that, we have some housekeeping. I know you're all excited for the housekeeping, Sorry, so let's just get three, straight to that. it was
1: three <laughs> things to talk about, because we forgot what in the outline, <laughs> and then we have the exciting spoilers that were like released like an hour and a half ago, and the beautiful housekeeping. So Dan, <laughs> why don't you do some housekeeping as I write what we have to talk about in 35 seconds? <laughs>
0: As far as I know, the housekeeping was the main topic, so let's just get (laughs) right to it. As a reminder, as always, if you're enjoying the show, if you want to support us, best way to do that is by joining our Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. You'll get access to our Discord community. It's a wonderful place. You know, Emmy, Zach, you were giving a great description of the shenanigans that are happening there all the time, and we are once again in a preview season, so... Best moment. Exactly, exactly. Everyone was trying to figure out, like, okay, how does prototype work? Like, can we break this? Can we blink this? Does it work with Metalwork Colossus? Like, oh, wait, no, it's a creature. <laughs>
1: As we were starting the episode, I quickly tagged Shasro and was like, um, Rob, can I ask you some questions before I look like an idiot live?
0: <laughs> Has he gotten back to you? Or yes, yes, are we he just was like, go ahead of recording.
1: He was immediately responding, it was the Geek Stout.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Um,. Yeah, so it's a wonderful place, but yeah, if you just want to get back to the show or if you want to come join our, our wonderful faith Spirit and community, Patreon is where you can find all of that. And we do have one new patron we would like to welcome this week, that is Robert B. Thank you very much for your support.
1: Thank you for much for sharing the gun. With that being said, we can go straight into the first topic that Dan has no idea about because I just started it, which is the fact there's going to be a 2022 shamstart.
0: Remind me, what is Jumpstart? So
1: Jumpstart was a draft format, where instead of drafting, so it, sorry, it was a sealed format, not a draft one, you choose two decks of, 30, of 20 cards and you unite them into a deck. So you have pre folk and aggressiveness, and it's 20 cards of each, you shuffle them, it's a 40-card deck. So it's like, sort of the starter decks, like were 20 cards, 30 cards, 30-card 30 decks that were, like, alone and playable, So it's like different packages of 20 cards that you unite two of them, any of them, to make a deck. And you play with that deck.
0: They're like, they're booster packs, but they're not fully random.
1: No, they are zero random. Like, sorry, you see the first card and you know the remaining 19.
0: Ah, okay. So the idea is that this will help new players just jump into a game. Exactly. Crack two packs, shuffle up.
1: The thing is, they also tend to release cards that are shamstar only which still see some trouble acquiring them.
0: Yeah, Muxus Goblin exactly. Granby was the one that uh, comes to mind for that. And that. That was released on Magic Arena, became very powerful and historic for a time.
1: So for the new one, we have two creatures we have never seen, Kiki Shiki, and the confirmed fact that we are going to get anime-drawn cards. Like the Cold Heart you see right there.
0: So I see Cold Heart. that's a reprint. Snow artifact comes into play, tapped... Yeah. Choose a color, it taps for that color. Kiki-jiki Mirror Breaker, of course we know that, so that's now dealing and historic, I assume. And two new cards I've never seen before.
1: So these are the two completely new cards they are gonna be like the insignia of, I think, the Goblin deck and the Snow deck. We have Ardos, Goblin of War, two mana, one-one Haste, Goblin Shaman. Whenever it or any other creature enters the battlefield, it gets plus two plus so until end of turn.
0: Sort of like a hybrid goblin pile driver and foundry street denizen, but it doesn't actually require goblins.
1: Yeah, and for four mana, you can make a one-one red goblin with haste, which becomes a three-1 in the 30 attacks. Okay. And then we have Isu abominable Five mana five5, five, likely a commander of Sword for a which gives you feature sight for snow lands or snow spells. And whenever as no permanent enters the battlefield, you may pay one white, green, or blue, and you put a counter on Isu. So as no future side commander.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, we're not, like, the most up-to-date on Historic, but, I mean, do you see any future for these cards in, like, the competitive formats? I mean, they're not legal in Modern or Pioneer.
1: The Goblin seems interesting, to say the least. Like, super aggressive. 2 mana, 3-1 Haste. Mm-hmm. That pumps every other creature that enters with haste or such. It's at least weird.
0: Alright, so apart from Jumpstart, which is not legal in Modern playing Pioneer. Sadly. We do have new cards that we can play. We have Brothers War coming up just around the corner.
1: We started with the, with the spoilers today. Tomorrow, and the next two days are where most influencers, streamers, players, pro players will be releasing their... Their preview cards, so expect a heavy wave of spoilers coming to you soon, but we have the first 20 cards or so, and at least a few of them seem actually quite good.
0: You think so? I looked at them and I wasn't that impressed by them, but maybe maybe you can convince me.
1: So, let's start from the top then, from the first card they spoiled. Also the first one, alphabetically I think, but I'm gonna take a bold guess and say yes.
0: So I'm looking at a meld card, another legendary meld. Yeah. This is Titania, Voice of Gaia, and Argoth, Sanctum of Nature. So Titania is a three-mana creature, Argoth is a land. So this actually feels doable, right? like I could meld a creature in a land.
1: Sadly, it takes an additional bit of necessity. So we have Titania, three mana, three for reach, double green, Dragon straight up from Endurance, posted on Titania, Whenever one or more land cards are put into your graveyard, from anywhere, you can chew life. The fact it's from anywhere seems particularly good, with stuff like... with dredge, um, loam, or discarding in any way, shape or form, or slow work, or channel abilities. At the beginning of your upkeep, if there are four or more land cards in your graveyard, and you both own and control Titania and a land named Argos Sanctum of Nature, you exalt them both, and they meld into Titania Gaia Incarnate. Secondly, we have Argoth, Phantom of Nature. ETV taps Greenland, but it enters untapped if you control a legendary green creature. It also has the ability for 2 and, for two and double green, so 4 mana tap, create a 2-2 green bear token, then mill 3 cards. You may only activate as a sorcery.
0: So 4 mana, tap, create a bear, a 2-2 bear, and mill 3 cards.
1: I think it's just tiny upside. It's just tiny upside for to make it at least a bit more playable on its own.
0: I mean, activate as a sorcery. I don't know why they added that. That's
1: devastating. I think it's so you don't activate it on the upkeep, and you trigger it that way.
0: Just to avoid confusion. So yeah. the way that the meld will happen is Titania's trigger, her meld trigger, checks at the beginning of your upkeep. It would only happen if you already had the requisite number of lands. That's four or more lands in your graveyard. Plus Titania in play, plus Argoth in play. So, let's imagine let's just pick modern. That's where lands go in the graveyard all the time. Fetch land on turn one. Fetch land on turn two. Argoth, which is tapped, but let's just pretend I already somehow get it untapped. Maybe I played Argoth on turn one. You
1: played Argoth (laughs) on turn one. Turn two, fetch land.
0: Turn three, fetch. Cast Titania on turn 3, I have a 3-4 reach, very impressive. On turn 4, I'm, I'm halfway to the meld trigger, so I have to have done something on turns 1 and 2 to get 2 more lands. But let's just say that all that all happened, right? I get to meld Titania on my 4th turn, what, what do I get?
1: So you get Titania Gaia Incarnate, legendary creature Elemental Avatar, Vigilance Reach, Trample, and Haste whose power and toughness are equal to the number of lands you control, which doesn't seem impressive because you're just going to have a 3-3 or a, form or a 4-4 by that standard. However, when it enters the battlefield, you return all lands from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. So, assuming you accomplish the Titania trigger, that means you're getting at least 4 extra lands into the battlefield immediately.
0: Which is important because you lose a land when you lose Argoth.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're also getting back... Ar- no, you don't get it back because it's melding. And then, you got ability 4-4, you might put 4 counters on a land you control, and it becomes a 0-0 elemental creature with haste. So you pay 4 mana to make a 4-4 out of a land.
0: I saw on Twitter that uh, Carmen Handy, who works at Wizards R&D, she said that she spent a lot of time testing these two cards in the Future Future League. Apparently, this is a card, or a combination of cards rather, Titania plus Argoth, that's borderline playable, at least in the context of future standard, as R&D envisioned it. Now, what about, like, real pioneer, real modern? I mean, I could see myself occasionally melding this, but the problem is that Tania does not do anything. Like, this life gain trigger is not in itself desirable. It's just not enough. Argoth is, you know, whatever. It's a tap land or an untapped land. Yeah, it's yeah, It's, it's okay. I mean, a land that taps to create a bear and mill three, that, that's actually sort of interesting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I think that's the case with all of the meld cards we've seen. We have saw Urza already, we've seen Mishra. Mishra melds with the Dragon Engine, the Dragon Engine is very cool. Mishra's doesn't really do anything. Same with Urza and the, um, what, what is it, Mightstone and Weakstone? Is that what it's called? Yeah. The artifact is good and Urza's not so good.
1: Exactly. But card seems interesting, not sure if you're going to see play, for me it just seems like bad slow work, and slow work is already a bit hard to make work.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, it gives you a clear quest, so for that yeah. reason people will try it, but I wouldn't expect too much.
1: It seems like it would work well with slow work, and maybe it will, and I'm hopeful for that, but I think we just gotta wait and see. Besides that, we have two extra cards which I'm going to refer to as middle age Ursa and middle age Mishra. <laughs> because we have all Ursa and Mishra where they once spoiled a few weeks ago. And in these new spoilers we have middle age Ursa, Middle-aged Mishra, and we have Tiny Ursa and Tiny Mishra.
0: Oh, so Ursa and Mishra get multiple cards in this set?
1: They have three each. For now.
0: So they, they get a Mythic, that's in their old age. They get a Rare. A,
1: a Rare and they get an Common. So I could refer to them as a logical person and say mythic, norm- rare, and uncommon, but I'm going to go with old, middle-aged, and tiny.
0: I want to see what the common Urza looks like.
1: <laughs> Babies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: like Young Urza, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I built my first ornithopter, <laughs> I'm a pauper commander. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I hope we get baby Urza and baby Mishra. So, Middle Age Ursa, Ursa, Prince of Krug, 2, a blue and a white, for a legendary creature human artificer, 4 mana 2, 3, artifact creatures you control get plus 2, plus 2. You also get an ability for 6 mana, create a token that's a copy of target artifact you control, except it's a 1, 1 in addition to its other types. A 1, 1 soldier creature in addition to its other types. Unplayable, right?
0: unplayable if you're attracted by that first line of text artifact creatures you control get plus two plus two this is a good reminder that the card tempered steel does exist and it's actually you know it has been good at some some points in the past (laughs) tempered steel is the same effect on a three mana enchantment yeah so just look into that if you're like oh i should build an urza prince of krug deck start with tempered steel and see if you actually believe in it
1: and see and go from there However, after that, we have a much more playable card, I think. Maybe not, but at least more fun, which is Middle Age Mishra. Hmm? Mishra Tamer of Magfawah. Macf- of 3 mana, 4, 4, ragdos, and 3... Sorry, 5 mana, 4, 4, 3, Ragdos. So, 5 mana. Legendary Creature Human Artificer. Permanents you control have ward, sacrifice a permanent. And each artifact card in your graveyard has an earth for 1, a black, and a red. So three mana, I nerf any artifact card.
0: Positive takeaway from this Mishra is that we see wizards expanding the ward mechanic. You and I have both publicly called for more ward. Yeah. We need more ward. <laughs> However, I actually don't like this kind of ward as much as the mana ward. Like, mana is an important resource to tax. And while this is like a two-for-one in the same way that, um, you know, targeting a graveyard trespasser, you have to discard a card sometime. You know, that's actually fine, right? You can make up the card later. In the same way, like, this ward, ward, sacrifice, a permanent is, like, slightly weaker than a ward, too. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah. I I think it's similar.
0: The bad news is that we're talking about a five-mana creature with no relevant abilities. You know, you can invest... If you cast your 5 mana creature and you untap next turn, you can do graveyard shenanigans at the cost of 3 mana each. It's just not realistic.
1: Yeah. So, also, I think it's the first time we have seen unearth earth on non-creatures.
0: Oh, so you can unearth any artifact.
1: Yeah, yeah it's artifact cards. And that's super interesting, because that has n- not been in the past.
0: You'll get it for one turn. Yeah. It will remain until the end step, then it gets exiled. So you're not going to like lock someone with Possessed Portal like Zac is hopefully doing in Vegas right now. But, you know, you can maybe pull off something. The thing is, like before you go too far down this road, it's a 5-mana Legend that doesn't do anything. So I-, I wouldn't really try it, seriously. But it's cool.
1: Yeah. It's a cool card. Sadly, the 5-mana cost is what's really going to keep it out of the game.
0: I'm actually pretty intrigued by this next one here, Hercule, Master Wizard.
1: So 1 and double blue for a Human Wizard Advisor. Sadly this card, I'm not, I'm going to read in a second, but it's going to sound a lot better than before you start analyzing every single word I say. So 3 mana 2 for Human Wizard Advisor. At the beginning of your end step, if you have cast a non-creature spell this turn, reveal the top 5 cards of your library. For each card type among non-creature spells you have got this turn, you may put a card of that card of that type from among the revealed cards into your hand. Put the rest of the bottom in a, on a random order. This means if, if you play an artifact, when you reveal the top five, you may put an artifact into your hand. If you play an instant, out of those five, you can also get an instant. If you play artifact enchantment instant, out of the five, you can get any of those three.
0: So my... My best line would be turn 3 Hercule plus Mishra's Bauble, for example. Go to my end step, flip my top 5, and if I have an artifact, I get that.
1: I think the best line would be Metamorphose, Horgil.
0: Oh, right.
1: Mishra, and you also get an instant, because it doesn't check...
0: Yeah, I see what you're saying. It just checks whether at any point during the turn I've cast a non-creature spell. So you probably don't want to go... Too far in, no. in terms of like multiple card types. You should probably just focus on one or two card types.
1: You can to just stick on one to three at most, like artifact plus instant. Okay. And that's the biggest issue, right? Like that the trigger is gonna become at best torture guards and at worst fail.
0: Hmm. I mean this card is so close.
1: Yeah, that's my problem. I, it's sad that you can just get any non-creature out of the fight, right? Like, the fact they have to line up with the ones you play...
0: I think the biggest problem is that we're talking about a three-mana creature whose only function is to draw cards conditionally, and that's, that's usually not quite what you need to win games.
1: It's like Shanna. I think it's better than Shana, the one that requires you to pay for the life you gain, because this one at least is free. Like, you just develop your game plan and draw cards. Yeah. Also, it does seem to work super well with like Mox Amber, Like play Hercule, play Mox Amber, cast an instant or sorcery, draw two. In the end step, that's like a super cool line.
0: Yeah, I mean maybe maybe artifacts is a trap. What if I'm just like, okay, I'm a is it spells deck? I have my sorceries and I have my instants. At some point, I will play Hercule plus consider in the same turn. And then that gets me another instant. And then next turn, I'll do instant and sorcery.
1: My biggest annoyance, it being at the beginning of your instant. If it was every end step and I could pull this off with instant, I would love it. Like once per cycle, keep playing instance. I would be all over it. So from there, we go to what we have called Tiny Mistra. We have the Uncommon Mistra card. 3 mana, 2-1. Human Artificer, a red and 2. Legendary Creature with Haste. You pay 1, discard a card, draw a card, so you get 2 Ramash. And whenever you discard one or more artifact cards, you add double red. This ability triggers only once its turn. So, be it with its own ability or by any ability that causes you to discard, if you discard an artifact, once per turn you get 2 red mana.
0: So the base rate is not good. If it didn't require mana to use the discard and draw effect. I would be a little more interested. Yeah. That being said, I mean, this, this static text, whenever you discard one of our artifact cards, add two red. That's new. I don't think we've seen anything like that before.
1: You're going to see something like that in a few seconds.
0: Okay, take me there. Show me.
1: So we have Ursa Powerstone Prodigy, or Tiny Ursa. Chuana Blue, Legendary Creature Human Artificer, 1-3 with Vigilance. You may pay one, draw a card, and discard a card so you loot instead of Ramash. And whenever you discard one or more artifact cards, create it up top power stone token. This only triggers once each turn.
0: Okay, so 1-3 vigilance for 3, proper looting, again costing mana, and interesting static text. I mean are there artifacts that naturally discard themselves, or do we have to actually use the looting ability to do this?
1: When thinking about it for roughly 7 seconds, the only thing I came up were the uh... Channel ones from Kamiyawa.
0: That counts as discarding when you channel. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I guess Architects of Will, I mean, that's an artifact. You cycle it.
1: A- anything that cycles as well.
0: Hollow ones, an artifact that cycles for two.
1: And everything you get to cycle in your opponent's turn is huge because you are doubling the, pro- the, uh, the producing. Mm. Also, any sort of looter you have played before, like Turn Two, Chase Virgo, Inchuris.
0: But these are, like, underpowered creatures for the mana they, yeah. they ask, so I, I wouldn't expect too much from these.
1: No, no, they just seem interesting with the discard part.
0: These are the un- uncommon ones. The common ones will surely be better when they're spoiled.
1: <laughs> so, after those two tiny creatures, we have the new Teferi, because we always have a Teferi with a new passive ability. Whenever you draw a card, you put a loyalty counter on Teferi, Temporal Pilgrim. 5 mana, Mythic, Planeswalker, Double Blue and 3, legends with 4 loyalty counters. Zero ability, draw a card, which of course means it's a plus one However, it's a plus one that triggers mm. So if you can do 4, four damage to it instantly, you get to kill it even if it pluses Relevant text Minus 2, create a 2-2 blue spirit creature token with vigilance, and whenever you draw a card, you put a counter on it So you make a mini-threat and minus 12, target opponent chooses a permanent they control, return it to their hand, and then they shuffle each non-done permanent into their library. I don't think this will be playable, it's just about the Ferry Dominaria.
0: So the zero ability, which is secretly a plus one ability, is not interesting at all. Let's just draw a card. The minus two creates a creature that, you know, it has vigilance and it grows, but it's also not that interesting. So really the only interesting part of this Teferi is the static text. gaining loyalty every time you draw. So that counts your draw step, so he's going to pick up a loyalty right there. If you do anything else with your blue deck full of card draw, Teferi Temporal Pilgrim is quite good at gaining loyalty. So what's the payoff for all the loyalty? What do we do with it? it? It all comes down to that minus 12, I suppose.
1: Which sadly isn't good enough.
0: So let me just make sure I understand this. When I minus 12 my Teferi... They're going to keep all their lands. They're going to yeah. lose all of their non-lands, except one will get bounced of their choice.
1: Yeah. There's a weird planeswalker, I can't remember its name, that gives abilities to all of... It does something like that. Kasmina?
0: Casmina Enigma Sage.
1: So, hear me out. If you play a Teferian turn 5, and it survives, you can go Kasmina plus... Any ability that allows you to draw two or three cards, any looting, any whatsoever, and you immediately get to minus eight. Mm. The minus eight casts any spell that's blue your, any instant or sorcery for free.
0: Well, you're assuming that it's easy to get Teferi up to eight. Like, I don't think it's that easy. I
1: don't think it's that easy, but I think it's easy. So if this Teferi ever sees play, is on the back of Kasmina, I think.
0: If Kasmina let you borrow the static text of Teferi, that would be one thing. But I mean the the static text is interesting. The activated abilities are kind of unattractive to me.
1: Yeah, no, but I mean the Kasm- Teferi gets Casmina's abilities. You get to minus 8 the Teferi, and you use the Casmina minus 8, which is like the to turn instant of source cast it for free.
0: It's just it's just not gonna happen. I mean we we did a whole week on Casmina. <laughs> it didn't
1: happen we just didn't have what it takes i mean we were
0: able to do some interesting stuff with planeswalkers but those were planeswalkers with good abilities and teferi does not have good abilities
1: so the likely gonna be forgotten in time i'm gonna play a gasmina like in silence if it does well i'm gonna show it to everybody and if it does and if it does poorly i will say i never <laughs> played it so i don't tell Dan he was right
0: i accept this i accept these terms.
1: Following that, we have the actually two cards that I would think will actually see pretty much a lot of play. First of all, we have Geeks, Yogmoth Predator, 1 and double black, legendary creature, 3x and Preacher, 3 mana, 3, 3. Whenever a creature deals combat damage to one of your opponents, its controller may pay one life. If they do, they draw a card. It also has some extra flavor text in the way of 4 mana, triple black, discard x cards, exile. Top X cards of your targets opponent's library, and you may play lands and cast spells from among them for free. I don't care about that. This is... What's the name of Fat level? Oh,
0: Edric, Spymaster of Trest. I think that's the card you're thinking of.
1: Yeah, this is like Edric at home.
0: So Edric came from, like, a commander product or something? The way the ability is written, it actually encourages, in a multiplayer game, it encourages the your opponents to attack each other and not you. Yeah. Because anytime they hit one of your other opponents, they get to draw cards. Now, in one-on-one, it's it's up to you, right? If you want to make this good, you have to deal the combat damage yourself. But the attractive thing is it triggers once for each creature, right?
1: Yeah, so turn one, the, the cleric whose name I can't remember, turn two, double one, drop turn three, play games, attack with all three. Any of them that connect draw your card seems like an insane curve in Pioneer. I
0: mean... What are these one-drops? <laughs> what are what are you talking about here?
1: You have the cleric, you have the vampire. You're
0: talking about Knight of the Evan Legion? That's the yeah. vampire. The cleric is what? The one that throws. Oh, the, um, the sleeper? Yeah.
1: Evolved sleeper? Okay. And there's some other playable one-drop, likely.
0: Yeah. I mean, okay. We don't know if Edric is any good. In one-on-one, because it's not legal in modern. Maybe it's fine.
1: I think Edric would be good. I, 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 We have never seen another Edric effect.
0: Yeah, this is the first. Okay, something new.
1: So I think this is actually a pretty powerful card. Might even see some niche modern play. Won't disregard it. Hmm. I won't disregard someone going turn one, double ornithopter, vagabond, moxamber, into turn two geeks kill you. Just drop four cards. I don't say it's good, I say it's going to happen.
0: <laughs> you just say double ornithopter? <laughs> you can't deal combat damage Sh- with ornithopters.
1: Double main, my double main, my.
0: Okay, double mem. Now we're cooking, now we got memnites in the mix. Baby Urza made of memnites, and now we're attacking with them. That's the plan. <laughs> Alright. Uh, so that's Gix, Yogmoth Praetor.
1: And then we have Phydexian, Flesh, Gorsher. It introduces a fascinating new mechanic, which is Inverse Kicker. So Prototype is, you may cast this spell and it will have a different mana cost, a different color and a different size, however it keeps its abilities and types. In the case of Erexion, we have a 7 mana, 7, 5. With menace, lifelink and ward, you have to pay life equal to its power. However, the prototype ability makes it so it's a 1 and double black, 3-3, three, three, with mana lifelink, and the same word. So you get the adaptability of choosing with a 7-7-5 seven seven, or a 3-3-3, three three, three, always keeping the abilities.
0: Very flavorful mechanic, Prototype. Yeah. When you actually get down to the nuts and bolts, it's like, okay, it's a kicker variant. it's just trying to give you two modes on the card, like a split card. They could have printed this as a MDFC, right? Like, it would be almost the same.
1: Um. yeah the backside being inverse yeah however I have already seen a lot of people discussing this card and the power of it not being an MDFC is I have seen people talking about it in Legacy Welder I have seen people talk about it in Legacy Reanimator as a 3 x three you can hardcast and if it ever gets killed you just reanimate and killing it costs your opponent 7 life
0: oh people like this card everybody like this
1: card I mean, Pioneer, it seems like a slam dunk in some decks.
0: No. That's... no way. I mean, I know David was excited, but I feel like he's not... he's not hearing what he's actually saying. I mean, he's saying that I'm gonna spend 3 mana and get a 3-3 three, three menace lifelink and be happy with that. I can't imagine any deck wanting that.
1: That the opponent has to pay 3 lives to kill. I
0: would be happy to do so. Like, who cares? It's a 3-mana it's a three 3-3, three, three, like... <laughs> It's not a Graveyard Trespasser, I'll say that
1: much. You said the same thing about Trespasser. Why it? I did David. Get me David on the line. He left three mana three three.
0: Graveyard Trespasser actually disrupts things and it gains card advantage. Its ward is like a two for one. This this ward is just you take a little damage. What's the big deal? If I pay three mana for a flesh gorger, I get a three three menace lifelink, and the opponent has to lose three life to kill it. I mean I'm not actually gonna play that, am I?
1: I think the card is interesting and the versatility is pretty sweet. So regarding rulings, this card CMC, when prototyped, is three mana.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: On the board as well. So you can't prototype into Neoform for a crystal brand. You first have to blink it.
0: So it really is like an MDFC. Yeah. Like it's a totally different card when you prototype it. Yes. So if I play it for 3, and then I ephemerate it or something, then I get...
1: 7-7-5. If it's generated as a new entity via persist via anything, it's a 7-5.
0: I'm going to aim low on this. I'm I'm sure I'm going to come to regret saying this, but it just doesn't seem playable at all. Like, If not for the fact that it evokes memories of Worm Coil Engine, you know, it's a cool-looking Mythic Worm... It's not actually good, though. That's my read on it. Uh, but I guess, wh- what do I know? Everyone else probably knows better than me on this.
1: But yeah, those are the spoilers. I think Geeks may be the best card so far. I just love idrick effects that allow you to play a bunch of do-nothing creatures, like Mana and such, and just have a. If your opponent isn't able to deal with it at an instant speed, it's just going to give you so much card advantage.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. The one card that you skipped is the one that I actually am most excited to play. Really?
1: Yeah. Why? Okay. So, read it, Dan. Show the world your love for the weird and common.
0: Splitting the Power Stone, two and a blue sorcery, as an additional cost to cast a spell, sacrifice an artifact. So, everything I've said so far is the exact same text as Tinker, another famous two and a blue sorcery, which wins the game. Splitting the Power Stone will also win the game. Let's see how it does so. <laughs> when you sacrifice the artifact, you get to create two tapped power stone tokens. You split your artifact and it created two power stones. If the sacrifice artifact was legendary, you also draw a card. That part's not going to happen. Basically, we're cracking an Icar Wellspring and getting to double ramp out of it. But not just ramp, you actually get two game objects. So, you know, we talked about this with the Karn from the last set. I just feel like there's got to be potential in the Power Stone mechanic. And we haven't seen enough of MTG Bro yet to say for sure, but like, this is a piece of the puzzle, I think. It's a double ramp.
1: It's a double drop that requires you to sacrifice something.
0: But sometimes that's a good thing. I mean, sometimes sacrificing is valuable, so...
1: Yeah, I mean, we can see the dream of turn 2 play the egg into turn 3 splitting the Power Stone. The egg. Yeah... So we did that's five it's... mana do nothing for double ramp and run guards.
0: <laughs> you can use your power stones to activate your next egg, your your next synthesizer activation.
1: The tree. I wasn't thinking about the synthesizer though, I was thinking about the egg, the other egg. Eco World Spring.
0: Oh, that's not a that's not an egg, that's a bubble. That's like a blister bubble or something.
1: That's an egg! It's the eggiest <laughs> of the eggs!
0: It's a bubble. Well, whatever.
1: <laughs> That's uh, this is like the chat I had with Zack that he lied to me saying there was an archon without mount.
0: You were definitely right about that. <laughs> Every go. archon has a mount. You you had the receipts. You showed the Scryfall search. Every archon is like riding a lion or a
1: or a weird entity, magical
0: elk or something. <laughs> Who knows? I think one of them was riding a magic chariot of birds. <laughs> so
1: also for Hergil, well, um the Discord is already talking and it seems like what we have found is like tribal instance and artifact enchantments might be the key.
0: Oh multiple card types. Yeah. Tribal instance and artifact enchantments. <laughs> That's the key.
1: <laughs> We're going down the ra- We're going under the ra- to call it here. <laughs> so that oh, fire above Dailea are <laughs> the key to access pretty much
0: two for amazing, yeah, you cast Tarfire, you get to pick up a bitter blossom, and then when you cast a bitter blossom the next turn, you get to pick up yeah. your bow of Nylia.
1: <laughs> also I likely forgot forgot to add these, but the four missing lands are getting repainted.
0: oh good, that's good
1: brushland underground river, lanowar waste, and Battlefield forge
0: for pioneer these are these are relevant the allied ones at least. But Brushland is probably the most important one. I mean, we've seen how important Carpools and Forest has been for the new red-green decks that were tormenting Zac so much last week.
1: Yeah, getting an additional land untapped is always amazing for aggressive decks. But yeah, hoping to see a lot more spoilers that will be coming up over the next few days.
0: Exactly. So, all of that out of the way now that we're well into the show. <laughs> I mean, honestly, we did not calculate that today was going to be a preview day. So we got... a. Amazing show plan that has nothing to do with previews. We can get to that now. <laughs> what do you think?
1: Let's get to that now. This is
0: surely going to spill over, so this will be a two-parter. I think this will be part one yeah. of our 30-year celebration of <laughs> Magic's brewing history.
1: So let's get down to it. We each divided the even and odd years. When Dan asked, "Why did I take the which I prefer?" I said, "Even for no particular reason." There's a particular reason. It's a super obvious one.
0: Is there? I haven't figured it out yet.
1: It's super easy. And if you haven't figured it out, you're going to figure it out soon.
0: (laughs) Is it because there's a particular even year that you want? Yeah. You want to be able to pick the card for... Okay. All right, well, I'm excited. And suspense.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so how did you do this? Like, How did you see the card?
0: Yeah, so the first thing I did was, well, I made a list of each year which sets came out. And we're mainly looking at main sets, not really including the multiplayer or supplemental products here.
1: And you went set by set?
0: I went set by set. I mean, I actually opened up each set in Scryfall to just sort of browse and let the history wash over me.
1: I, I did the Sumer thing, and I realized Scryfall, you can search for year of printing and its first printing. Okay. So I just typed, like, year 1996 is first printing.
0: So you probably did a lot less random scrolling than I did.
1: <laughs> I just went straight for... Yeah, because I don't know which cards were first printed where. So if I looked by sets, I was bound to eventually make a confusion.
0: Yeah, so I feel like you were maybe looking for good cards. Me, being a dinosaur, a dinosaur hippo perhaps having lived through some of these early sets, I was just looking for nostalgia for the most part, looking for anything that just sparked memories, you know, that sparked some idea of like, oh, I remember a younger me, like, wanting to brew with this card.
1: (laughs) I think it really depends on that, because I always felt like the... Whenever I brew, I I felt a much stronger urge than you guys to brew with strong cards. So some of them are actually, like really brewable cards. And some of them are actually strong cards that led to me loving brewing. Interesting. So it's like a soft dance.
0: Yeah, I feel like, you know, it would be interesting to see what, um, like, David or Damon or Zach would come up with for their own, you know, this would be a fun exercise. Everyone can create their personal Magic 30 secret layer. But here, since we're here, you and I have done this. We will present our Faithless Brewing Magic 30 secret layer. And I have the evens, and I have the odds. Excuse me.
1: <laughs> so yeah, going to the, our favorites, our own 30 years of magic, then starting with the, with the odd years in our 30-year troubles. Alright,
0: 1993, where it all began. Alpha, Beta, Unlimited, and Arabian Nights. <laughs> so it was tough to pick a card from the base sets. I mean, Aaron Forsyth famously tells the story of how in, in the Wizards headquarters in Renton, they keep uh, uncut beta sheets on the wall in the hallways, and you know at various times throughout the day, when they're stuck on a card, they can't think of the perfect card for the next set, they they go to the wall, they drink in Garfield's vision, and they find inspiration there. It's like a holy site, a pilgrimage. You can do this now by buying Magic Thirty for a thousand bucks, your own your own beta wall if you want, or go to Scryfall and look at it for free, like I did. <laughs> You find everything here, right? Like the, the building blocks of the game, right? The the mana system, the color wheel, right? This color hates that color. Uh, you get the idea of targeting, right? Like how how important was it that a card like Ancestral Recall or Lightning Bolt can target anything? You get stuff like Shiv and Dragon, exactly like Mort is saying, that just tr- tells you, okay, you're in high fantasy now. This is going to be evocative. It's hard to pick one thing, but the card that... I am including here from alpha is actually the card howling mine. Why? Howling mine. Beautiful card. Such a beautiful card for so many reasons. <laughs> and as starts for me. It starts with nostalgia. Like I remember with this card from being a kid on the school bus, a kid at the cafeteria playing a version of magic that we, didn't understand the rules. We knew nothing about strategy. All we knew was how we felt and when somebody said, Oh, Jimmy just played a howling mine, we'd all say, Yeah, ooh, howling mine, oh Yossi just played a man of Flare, Yeah, I mean today this would be called group hug, I guess, but <laughs> but back then all we knew was that you know we got to have double, double the resources, and it was fun. It turns out that this effect is actually sort of playable, right? Like we we say that you can get a one sided howling mine if you, you know play Teferi or whatever. Howling Mine has seen some amount of play over the years, and it's one of the few cards from Alpha that, to me, has untapped brewing potential. I mean, we talked about this a few weeks ago, didn't we? We talked about Howling Mine and, like...
1: Yeah, tapping the Howling Mine because... Wait, what does it say there? Continuous Artifact?
0: It's a continuous artifact. Continuous artifact.
1: Wait, what? Wait, wait, what? So continuous artifact became mono-artifact?
0: I don't even know this story because by the time I started playing, like a year later they, they had done away with all this. But there was continuous artifacts, there was poly artifacts, there was mono artifacts.
1: I only know of mono artifacts with in theory are the one that when you get tapped, they stop working, like howling mine, that it's, it became a mono artifact.
0: I feel like Richard Garfield envisioned that we would all like really embrace the idea of tapping, like the philosophy of tapping, and that therefore it would be totally natural to us to see that an artifact that is tapped no longer functions. So that doesn't need to be spelled out on the card, because it's spelled out in a rulebook with the Shivan Dragon on the cover, which of course we're going to read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nowadays, Towling Mind just says, if it's untapped, you know, draw an extra card. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You, can, you can tap it.
1: We got rid of all the weird Modo, poly Weird. Whatever they put on Artifacts, and then they're just Artifacts.
0: Yeah, so if you want to play Howling Mine today, tap it with the Moonstair Prototype. Tap it with Maria. Tap it with Urza. Surprisingly, the decks over the years that have actually used Howling Mine in tournaments successfully don't do any of that. They just use it as intended. They just use it to let each player draw an extra card. And there are two decks that come to mind here. One is Owling Mine, a deck that Tiago Chan, I believe, did well with in Standard. The idea is to play Howling Mine and Kami of the Crescent Moon, which is a creature version of Howling Mine, to just force each player to draw a million cards every turn, and then you eventually want to get Ebony Owl Netsuke, which is like a black vice, to force the opponent to take damage every turn. It's like the opposite of 8-rack. The anti-rack. The rest of your deck is dedicated to like... Messing with their lands, right? Bouncing their lands or letting them not on tap with exhaustion. Don't
1: forget about Sudden Impact.
0: Oh, four copies of Sudden Impact. That's amazing.
1: The only red card in the deck.
0: Okay, Sudden Impact three and a red instant deals damage to target player equal to the number of cards in their hand. It's a color shifted Stormseeker for the Legends fans. Wait, what? Um, <laughs> Stormseeker is the same card but in green from. Uh, From Legends. (laughs) So Owling Mine is actually an update of an even earlier deck called Vice Age. This is from the World Championship in 1995. So two years into Magic's (laughs) history, Vice Age played the actual card Black Vice. Or Black Fies, I'm actually not sure. Is that how you pronounce
1: that? I think it's Vice.
0: With the little stuffy doll getting sandwiched between the spikes. Play that on turn one, and the opponent is potentially taking three damage every turn. This card actually got banned or restricted in some formats at some time. Now, you actually want to make sure that they have a full hand, so you also play four Howling Mines, and then you play stuff that messes with their lands. So, in the Vice Age deck, it was actually a red green deck. It played like joggle Hops. It played uh, Stormbinds, because then you could discard your own lands. I played Orcish Lumberjacks. It's a very weird little deck. It played Strip Mines. Basically, people back then in 1985 did not understand how to build mana curves, so it was in- entirely possible.
1: Crumble is a surprisingly good card for its time.
0: Crumble, yeah, one green instant, buries an artifact, and gives life to so the controller artifact. I mean, there are some good cards in here, but yeah, it's just kind of shocking to see this very basic sequence turn one, Black Vice, turn two, Howling Mine actually take third place in World Championships.
1: Yeah, and a bunch of creatures with zero synergy in weird numbers.
0: Yeah. Whirling Dervish to fight back against the black meta. <laughs> the one of Shivan Dragon, of course.
1: A uh, uh, one of channel.
0: I think that was restricted at the time, so you couldn't play more oh, than one Oh, okay, that makes More fun. than one channel.
1: <laughs> the <laughs> one of Shivan Dragon.
0: Exactly. So, Howling Mayan has both brewing potential and a little bit of brewing history, and that's why it's my pick from the most iconic year. Love it. Sorry to wax nostalgic about that card for so long, but <laughs> I just, yeah.
1: No, that's what we're here for. However, I'm here to talk a little bit of a different thing when I go for my choice in 1994.
0: So what was happening in 1994? What were the sets? So in
1: 1994, we have Revised, Legends, The Dark, and Fallen Empires, which are not sets known for their power level, mostly. Like, I think Magic started super strong and then had a few weak years. I don't know if you agree, Dan. Like, from here till Vision's card quality wasn't amazing, with some weird exceptions. Yeah. So, why Armageddon? of all the beautiful cards we get to choose from here. Well, first of all, because 99% of cards from 94 suck. But also because Armageddon was the first time they were actually trying to give white a decent identity.
0: What is that identity, in your opinion? (laughs) I mean, it's three and a white sorcery. All lands in play are destroyed. Well, what a nasty card. This card will get you kicked out of the LGS if you cast this.
1: Wait, wait, the alternatives were Atok, Balance, and Goblin Grenade. None of them was any saint.
0: I mean, Balance will also get you kicked out of the LGS. You can't bring these cards to Commander Tables.
1: Because they gave White maybe a hateable identity, but a much better identity than freaking Healing Salve did.
0: You know, it's kind of shocking that, that the Vice Age deck, the one I was just telling you about with Black Vice and Holly Mayan, did not play Armageddon.
1: He played Jockle Hops.
0: But Jockle Hops destroys artifacts. So, like, why Jockle Hops? Why not just play Armageddon? That, that's strange.
1: Because they were... they didn't know how to make mana bases and they were cruel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's the only answer I can provide. So, what eventually led me into loving the game was, and the first decks I ever played were white based, And I think the idea of white being the color that focused on doing their plan while stopping your opponent to do so, not using the stack, but rather its own playing field, started with Armageddon. I think Armageddon lets you Talia.
0: Armageddon is surprisingly playable. Like, it kind of wins the game, right? Because the opponent can no longer do anything. But then you have to work backwards and think, okay, what do I have to have in play in order for this Destroy All Lands effect to win the game? And you realize that all you need is a few creatures.
1: At the time, it was literally a few savannah lions. And that's what the game was focused <laughs> on.
0: One of the first world champions played a mono-white deck. I think it had some Armageddon's at the top of the curve. Uh, Tom Champagne, is that the guy's name?
1: I think I'm going to talk about a tiny bit about it. I think it's a 96 world champion, because... Something really weird happened in that decklist?
0: I remember it had Order of Labor, it had uh, Order of the White Shield.
1: It had one Armageddon.
0: One Armageddon. And one balance.
1: But we're going to talk about that decklist in two years from now because of something extra about it.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay, so skipping ahead perhaps... So in 1994, however, when revised came out, you could just cast Armageddon and, you know, who knows what would happen.
1: You try to win, and if you don't win, you lose. That's how it works. Armageddon was one of those cards that instantly won you the game, or instantly your opponent did something in response and you were in an unwinnable spot.
0: How would you feel about this card in Modern and Pioneer?
1: I think you can just give a balance Armageddon, which is Cataclysm.
0: I mean we see Boom Bust actually cast every now and then in Modern. Some sometimes the bust mode is cast, and it's
1: pretty good. I think for format it might be a tad too cheap. I think Cataclysm is what happens when you read Armageddon and you don't want to make the game suck.
0: Also not legal in modern though. Yeah, I mean, that's again.
1: But legally in legacy and see some free to play. Huh. So Cataclysm is the same, but instead of destroying all lands, it's for all permanents, and each player gets to choose one, so each player chooses an artifact, a creature, an enchantment, and a land, and then you sacrifice the rest. It stopped those shanky Three savanna Lions Armageddon plays.
0: <laughs> yeah, Cataclysm... what that, was that from? Exodus? Something like that? It did have a, like, a slightly different condition for winning. Like You actually wanted to have one creature with an enchantment on it, and there was an enchantment called Imperial Armor that people used to play. It's like one white white and the enchanted creature just got plus X plus X for the number of cards in your hand. Yeah. Silly card. But I mean, this this was how you did it, right? You would have like your random Savannah Lion with the imperial Armor Cataclysm and now you have the biggest creature in the world.
1: Uh, the good old memes from the past. But yeah, that's the reason. I It just transformed magic into what I enjoy the most. It was, like, the
0: first point. Not letting anyone cast spells. <laughs> the, the
1: I mean, game. it eventually fans reach the point where they can cast spells, just be mildly annoyed by it as I p- develop my game plan.
0: All right, 1995, another odd year, so this comes back to me. In 1995, we had 4th edition, Ice Age, and Homelands. <laughs> what a year. So for me, I mean, I looked through Ice Age and I saw exciting cards. I saw Brainstorm, I saw Demonic Consultation, and I saw Necropotence, I saw Illusions of Grandeur. But when I got to Homelands, I had to pick a Homelands card. (laughs) So the card that I'm picking for 1995 is Didgeridoo. (laughs) One mana artifact. Its ability is pay three. Take a Minotaur from your hand and put it directly into play. As though it was just summoned. <laughs> so for one mana, you have the ability to sneak Minotaurs into play. <laughs> I think Homeland titled the only Minotaurs for many years, and yeah. none of them were even remotely playable.
1: I mean, this got a few five 0s in Legacy like a year ago,
0: and yet, exactly right. Like it's actually kind of powerful. So did you redo? It, it almost feels like like a building they never finished building, right? Like it's identifying a new kind of space. These are the early days. What if we just picked a random subset of cards, a random tribe in this case? So it was super parasitic. It only works with Minotaurs. (laughs) And we just give it a busted card. And we just, you know, just wait, right? Maybe someday you'll get a Minotaur that you can win the game with, or maybe you won't. (laughs) We don't know. (laughs) In the case of Didgeridoo, I mean, when, when did they print a playable Minotaur? What Minotaur actually wins the game in Legacy?
1: Um so there's two of them I think? You have So you have the one that grants additional attack steps, whose name I can't remember. So we have there's two I think. You have Sethron Hurlun General. 5 mana 4-4 four, four when <laughs> When it or any other minotaur, non-minotaur enters the battlefield, you create a choose-three-minotaur token, and you may pay three to give all your minotaurs plus one, plus oh, uh, and menace. You have modo Fury of Acron, six mana, six, six, each creature you control gets plus one, plus oh, for each time it has attack, and Landfall, you get an additional attack step.
0: Okay. Yeah, you can see these, if you're trying to resolve, like, a death, bellow, war, cry, another weird minotaur card spell... I, I don't know. I, I don't know if this is exactly true, but to me, when I see Didgeridoo, I feel like this was a first of its kind type of brew around card. And they just, like, they, they accidentally stumbled on this concept in Homelands and then just forgot about it. That's my read on Didgeridoo.
1: Forgotten for the ages, then they produce Ursa Saga's a tutor and a lot of decent ones. In what set of them all, going back to the beginning of the episode, Shamstar Venators? <laughs>
0: So, like, Didgeridoo itself is unfortunately on the reserve list, so they, they can't reprint it into, into Modern. At least not with a real card back. <laughs> but, I mean, you could, you could imagine the exact same card for any other creature type. A snake flute or something. Put a snake into play. Who knows?
1: I mean, Sorin, the three mana Sodin is exactly that for vampires.
0: Exactly, exactly. So it's just kind of, it feels like a card that's ahead of its time, is what I'm trying to say. And yet they never finished it. Such it's included in my Faithless Brewing secret layer.
1: When when fighting against cards like Orkish, Lambershack, Vexin Arcanix, Tinderwall, suranor Memory Labs, Melcans Scrolls, Springstorm, Demonic Consultation, and Illusions of Brainor, nothing can stand against the mind of the of who, who plays the song of he who delivered us play the song of Pharos. <laughs> D
0: Very nice. Alright, take us to 1996.
1: So, before I get to my card, let me tell you a tiny story about the winner of the 1996 World Championship. As Dan said before, it was a mono-white deck, but it wasn't a mono-white deck. The deck was sporting two Phoenix and Warbeast, four Order of Late War. you don't care it's a mono-black creature, a protection from black creature, two Order of the White Seal, you don't care it's a protection from, white, from black creature, who would have said Necropotence was printed around this year, Four Savannah Lions, two Star Wars Ancients, and four White Knights. The third playset set of a Protection for Black creature. That's a lot of Protection for Black. Besides that, we have four Disenchant Main Decks. Wow, who would have said this set was about Necropotence?
0: Wait, did you just say Phyrexian War Beast? The 3 4 yeah. for 3 with a drawback?
1: Yeah. <laughs> when it leaves the battlefield, you <laughs> sacrifice a land and it pings you. <laughs> Then we have one Lantax, one Balance, one Armageddon, one Keldoran outpost, four Mishra factories, 15 planes, four Stream Mines. However, in the main deck and on the sideboard, we have one two copies of Light of Nine.
0: No way.
1: Change the text of target permanent or spell by replacing all instances of one color with another. Not quite sure what it's for, I'm just guessing it's to change your... Problax. Well... So,
0: the Phyrexian Warbeast is is the first clue that the metagame was very, very weird back then, yeah. right? So, this white deck was playing, what, 12 pro-black creatures, and the black decks were playing an equivalent number of pro-white creatures. On top of that, they would bring in additional cards, and I'm trying to think of what was legal back then, but they would bring in cards like Gloom, which made all white cards cost three extra. That's
1: how like the fine. Was like a way to counter that, I guess.
0: Dread of Night, I think that came a bit later, that just killed all white creatures <laughs> um, so yeah you do need something to get around the anti the protection from white hate so warbeasts give you a little ways to like fight back against the pro-white stuff sleight of mind is an extreme extreme move but yeah you could potentially change a gloom
1: let me let me remind you of the mana base 15 plays for stream mind for mistra factory one her on out what happened there <laughs> Of interesting note is that Shanpeng's winning deck included no sources of blue mana, though it included the state of mind. This stems from an error in the submitted decklist, he was forced to use Plains in lieu of the four other color wastes he was planned to include.
0: That's probably why he won, because he wasn't allowed to execute this insane plan <laughs> of casting two blue cards off four other color wastes.
1: I mean, he was sp- <laughs> It's better than casting them out of zero other color wastes.
0: My god.
1: So, Magic has evolved from a point in which playing a completely attuned decklist with two uncastable cards in your 75 to what it is today.
0: Amazing. So that's 1996 champion Tom Champagne.
1: Oh, and you have this weird combo with like Armageddon plus Lost Turn Orb where you just put basics on top of your opponent's deck or yours. Lowstone bubble, zero mana bubble. One ma- you pay one mana, you sacrifice it, you put up to four basic lands from a player's graveyard on top of his or her library.
0: I mean, it's hard to imagine how that wins in either scenario, but <laughs> people did this. Like
1: You just played an play Armageddon and you got lands back and they didn't. Yeah. So that's
0: 1996, but what card do you pick? Right, You're, you're not picking white weenie cards for your secret lair.
1: So I'm not picking white winnie cards, and let me tell you why, because there wasn't a single decent printed one in 1996. (laughs) So in 1996, we had two decent cards, Worldly Tutor and Polymorph. If you want to know how bad 1996 was, the choice Wizards did was Limdul's Old, which is a super non-impressive card when compared to the rest.
0: Yeah, I was surprised to see that there were only two expansions this year. There was only Alliances and Mirage.
1: Yeah, and none of them is known for being particularly decent. So my choice was Polymorph, because I love cards that started on a color and got completely color-shifted as time went on.
0: Like, Force of Will is obviously the card from Alliances, but that's not a brewing card.
1: Yeah. Polymorph, at least, was the beginning of what eventually nowadays are creativity decks, but forcing you to... Go through a downside to exploit the card, Polymorph forcing you to play no creatures in order to get the one you want. Also, it has amazing flavor text in the sort of a rabbit getting hands and screaming, Ah! Opposable digits!
0: (laughs) Well, now I'm wondering, when was the first year that you could build a proper Polymorph deck?
1: Likely it was around that time. They just didn't know, huh?
0: You do need... To generate tokens, then you need to have one payoff creature. And this was, this was early days, right? There was no payoff creature that just won the game. Like, the, the first one that did that didn't come for, for many years later. The card Spirit of the Night was, like, the most scary creature in 1996. And that's just a 6-5 flyer with haste. That, that was it, right? <laughs> That was the mo- the worst thing that could happen to you, is they polymorph and get a Spirit of the Night. and And no one was trying this. It's just not a thing, so I am curious, like, when was the first year that you could plausibly win off Polymorph? I feel like it took a few years.
1: I'm not sure what was the biggest creature, but yeah, likely a few years at least, but not so long until, like, I, I assume people took a lot more than the time it was necessary.
0: Alright, well, let's go to 1997 and see.
1: So, 1997.
0: 1997 had a bit more to choose from. There were four expansions, Visions, Weatherlight, Tempest, a big one, and 5th edition, which I believe only had reprints. Going through these cards, I mean, there's a ton of sweet ones. The card that I am choosing for my Faith is Brewing Secret Lair is Squandered Resources. Black Green Enchantment. Its ability says Sacrifice a Land. Add to your mana pool one mana of any type the sacrificed land could produce. Play this ability as a mana source. What's going on with Squander Resources? So it's allowing you to trade actual factual lands, the most important resource in the game, for a temporary mana burst. Why would you do this? Well, the first few years of Magic... Were characterized by just insane amounts of fast mana. I don't know what Richard Garfield envisioned the games were to look like when he printed the Moxen, Dark Rituals, and Soul Rings and stuff.
1: So, the theory is Garfield never expected the game to become as common worldwide for people to actually know all the cards. He expected people to only know the cards they open, and this would lead to more of a fun strategy or using this to actually play the decent stuff And people wouldn't ever find out about what you could do if you had it all. Garfield never expected people to unite squander Resources with Bloom and Balance.
0: Well, no, here's the thing. I mean, so I accept what you're saying about Garfield envisioning people having just a few packs worth of cards. But he put so much fast mana into Alpha, Beta, Unlimited that he must have felt like this is an important part of the magic experience, right? Like, everyone should know that you can get a burst of mana. It breaks the mana system. I don't quite understand it. Now, by 1997, when Visions came out, the designers, I think, understood that we shouldn't go so hard on fast mana, so all the in and stuff was no longer legal and standard or whatever.
1: Yeah, but of course. And if you
0: wanted fast mana, you had to sack lands to do it. You had to really go hard. And I think they envisioned that this would be like a big drawback. Sack a land to get one mana. Sadly. Well, <laughs> yeah, so it turns out... <laughs> It turns out they they gave you a way to do it, so there was a, a combo deck called Prosperous Bloom, one of the most famous combo decks from back in the day, in part because the most notorious cheater in the game's history, Mike Long, loved to play this deck. The way that it worked is you needed to just generate a ton of mana, and you eventually keep casting the card Prosperity, which makes each player draw a bunch of cards, and then you generate more mana and just keep doing it. And eventually you convert all the cards in your hand into mana through an enchantment called Cadaverous Bloom, which lets you exile cards in your hand for mana. And then you just fireball them, or drain life, as it were. But to get all that set up, it used squandered resources plus natural balance. Natural balance says for four mana, each player checks how many lands they have in play. And if they have fewer than five, you get to go through your deck and pull out lands. And put them into play until you have five. So now all of a sudden, not I'm not getting a drawback from squander resources. I'm actually
1: I go I'm coming ahead.
0: Yeah. So I sack all my lands for mana, cast Natural Balance, get five untapped lands, cast a big Prosperity, do it all again. And if you're wondering how do you not fizzle while you're doing this, well, Mike Long would keep an extra copy of the card he needed on his lap during tournaments. To just, like, pull it out, like, palm it and sneak it into play whenever a a crucial draw step was coming up.
1: I think the most insane about this deck was the fact that it was played by Long, he was found out cheating, and still didn't get disqualified.
0: (laughs) He got, like, a slap on the wrist.
1: Yeah, and then he got cheating again, and he got banned for a month, and when he came back, he never won anything again. Like, it's sort of the Yuta debacle, right? Like, how much of a pro player is actually them being amazing at the game, or how much he's cheating sometimes, it's, like, super weird for me.
0: Yeah, the the bad old days were all cheaters. Like, the guy, Henry Stern, who played the Vice Age deck I talked about, I, I think he was a cheater, so was Mark Justice. They were all cheaters. It's quite sad.
1: Ah, the good old days. I played this deck, and it was super fun, because we were playing, like, old standard in a store, like, we... We could play any deck that was standard legal at any time, and I actually played these.
0: Oh, you did? You played Prosperous Bloom?
1: It was super fun. <laughs> Insanely weird deck, super fun. Like, once it started going off, it just felt insane.
0: So, if you enjoy cards like Titania, Protector of Argoth, uh, if you enjoy the Gitrog monster, I mean, Squander Resources is actually a really fun card. Like, obviously not legal and modern so and it's on the reserve list so we'll never see it in our formats but if you just want to play casual or just want to play commander yeah this is actually a fun card to brew around i have a couple of casual decks built around it myself the problem is that it's like actually kind of broken once you start going <laughs> much like in the prosperous bloom deck so
1: it is, it's how much magic deck building has evolved like i think an above average player nowadays could grab just because of how much we have learned about the game could grab any of the win of the world championship winning the eclipse and actually improve on them.
0: Yeah that's that's probably true.
1: Which is so insane. We were
0: young in those days, the internet did not really exist.
1: I wasn't alive on those days. Exactly. We haven't reached 99 yet
0: Well, let's keep marching. I think we're gonna have to split this into two episodes, but let's do one more year.
1: Yeah, so we have nineteen ninety A Stronghold, Exodus, Anglur, and Ursa Saga i not gonna lie, I was super tempted to just put Ursa Saga as the cap for Ursa Saga. As a pretty bad show. However,
0: mm, mm,
1: mm. <laughs> I held myself back and acted like a true professional. And decided not to, you and almost added a card from Anglur. Because we never said it was just standard legal cards. but then I held myself back. Because I wanted to add the big furry monster. So, Jeez. <laughs> we end up at... I picked Fecundity, but I was super close to picking the True Brewer's card, which is Intruder Alarm, the card that everybody can brew with because you can just combo with it anywhere, anytime. Oh, God. <laughs> it's the one card that anybody can combo with. However, Fecundity came from me as a place that I think it's one of those cards that most people will underestimate or never consider. And I think it was one of the first brews that actually just started from a card like this, Right. A card that doesn't seem completely broken, when you look at it. Nowadays, anybody could see Squad of Resources or Armageddon and quickly figure out what to do with it. Fecundity is, I think, one of those that actually required the brewer's side. Saying, what if I start doing this, this, and this?
0: So it's two in a green enchantment. Whenever a creature is put into a graveyard from play, that creature's controller may draw a card. I guess today we would say whenever a creature dies, its controller draws a card. So it's quite simple. Something dies, you draw a card. How do you win with that?
1: Um, Do you won the way the card says? You <laughs> draw a bunch of cards... You sacrifice a lot of creatures, trying to make mana out of those creatures, and eventually, you eventually draw your whole deck. And try to find the wincon... of that deck in, in the old days.
0: So, versions of this deck are often called Dirty Kitty. It doesn't really make sense. It's like a weird name that came from an anecdote. I think Randy Bueller or something was watching a coverage of a tournament and he saw someone playing a fecundity combo and he said it was like watching a monkey give a bath to a cat or some, some strange thing that he said. And then it became Dirty Kitty, was like the nickname for this weird fecundity combo. But the idea is that you. You're going to run out of mana first before you run out of cards. Once Fecundity is in play, you'll just have infinite cards. So it turns out that a card like, um, well, Skirk Prospector, for example, could do it. Ashnod's Altar could do it. Anything that lets you sack a creature to generate mana. Fecundity to- provides the cards, and then suddenly you're going off. I think Empty the Warrens is part of this combo, usually. And then you win with, I don't know, Grapeshot or something.
1: So one of the first ones actually was closer was Sappy Fecundity, that just played a bunch of talits and such and used those creatures dying to treat you off. But there was like... The, the thing is, Fecundity was a card that requires brewing around it to actually make a good deck. And not ruining the sort of, oh, okay, I make a million extra mana, how do I win? But rather try to shine on the pieces. Because over anything, it's also a symmetric effect.
0: It is. I mean, I do wonder if when they designed this card, they were thinking it could just be like a sideboard card, kind of like a Shaper's Sanctuary now. I
1: assume that. They were looking at that.
0: Like, if if you have creatures and they have removal, Fecundity helps you and not them. So you don't need to combo with it necessarily but you can combo, and that's what makes it very cool.
1: Exactly. Another honorable mention, of course, Intruder Alarm, and a card I absolutely love, which is Gilded Drake.
0: This is the 3 3 for 2 that exchanges itself for an opponent's creature?
1: The best blinkable creature.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I love this era of magic, right? These first six or seven years. I mean, the cards are just so nostalgic. We have many more years to go because somehow this game is super old. it's <laughs> so 30 years of magic, but we're out of time for today. So I think we're going to cut it here and we'll continue with this in Monday's show. So Mord, let's wrap it up for now.
1: Yes. Thanks so much everybody for joining. Thanks so much, Dan. And see you in a few seconds. To you people, see you in a few days. If you... So also, if anybody can guess the reason, if I can get any message saying exactly why I picked the even years, I'm willing to let anybody force me to play any deck they want on stream. The first people to guess why I picked even gets to force me to play a bad deck they want before Monday.
0: Okay, so if you if you can think of the card that came out in an even year that Mord is so desperate to talk about (laughs) that he's willing to play your worst brew. (laughs) Get at him on Twitter. He's at MordToLight, or if you're in a Discord, of course, ping him there.
1: Exactly. So with that being said, thanks so much, Dan, and bye, everybody. Bye-bye.